0: I think there was dessert left, but I got involved in conversation that kept me from the dessert table, but I think I'll live. On December 26, 2004, the whole world watched in horror as the story of the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia unfolded, an earthquake that had taken place in the Indian Ocean triggered that huge wave of water you remember watching that on i think there were people from this local area who were there when that happened and a 100 foot tall wave come crashing across it did damage as far as the coast of africa 5000 miles away over a quarter million people died as the waters flooded and the devastation that followed. Entire inland populations, coastal villages were wiped out. In many places, every man, woman, and child in a village went to meet the maker. According to the Associated Press, there was one notable exception to the loss of life. A group of people called the Morgan Sea Gypsies, a small tribe of fishermen who spend much of the year on their boats fishing between India, Indonesia, and Thailand. Each December between fishing seasons, they live in small thatch huts on the beaches of Thailand. That December, they were living directly in the path of certain disaster. Yet every single member of that tribe survived, while most of their neighboring villages disappeared. Why? The tribal chief explained, for generations our fathers warned us, if the waters ever receded fast, they would quickly reappear in the same quantity in which they disappeared. He said, when we saw the water suddenly draining away from the beach, he said, many neighbors ran to the beach with their baskets to pick up stranded fish, not us. Our chief ordered us to run in the opposite direction to the mountains and to safety. And when that tsunami hit, the entire tribe was spared. I remind you of that day and that remarkable story of a people group spared from one of modern day's most tragic events that take place in terms of loss of life in one day. Because of where we're at in our story in the book of Genesis. We've come to chapter five. Are you impressed? We've come to chapter five. Last week we looked at the demise of Cain after that act of murdering his brother and conversation he had with God and the curse that was laid upon him and then we begin to read the generations that followed him, the sons that he had we talk last about his son Lamech who introduced the world to polygamy and, uh, and as hard and as rebellious as Cain was in his anger towards God Lamech said I'm going to be ten times worse than my father. So the line of Cain left the presence of God. They walked away from God and, and it just began to go on generation after generation. They never seemed to acknowledge God and God's mercy and grace. But chapter four ended on a bright note. God blessed Adam and Eve with another son called Seth. God has granted us, gr- Seth means granted. God has granted us another ish, another man child. God has given to us another chance for a son to crush the head of the serpent as he promised the seed of woman would do. And I read that last verse of chapter 4 just for context. To Seth also was, was born, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So, as we go into chapter 5, we see this sharp contrast between the family line of Cain and the family line of Seth. Cain's family, we're not told how long each a member of that family lived <clears throat> or what the age of the father was when they, as the King James said, begat the son. But in Seth's line, we are giving the ages of the father. And then we're giving how long they lived before they died. Up until the days of Noah. As I considered these two genealogies, these are the first genealogies recorded in the Scripture. And this one is the first one in chapter 5 of 10 generations. And if you read through the Old Testament, we'll keep coming back to 10 generations. It doesn't mean they covered everybody that was born. It's just one of the literary things that is is in the Old Testament. But as I looked at those genealogies, once again, I just took a moment and said, thank God that I was born into a family who believed in Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and lived a life committed to them. You see, family can make a huge difference. It can make a huge difference. Now, I say that I know that just because one's parents are Christians does not make children Christian. We ought to make our own choice. But it does establish a whole lot of seed being planted. The flip side of that is because of God and His goodness and His grace, over and over again, I've seen Him break a chain in a family's. Generations by revealing himself to a son or a daughter, and they come to understand, I need Jesus Christ. And a whole new family line has begun under the spiritual covering of this person. We just thank God for that. So, reading in chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. <clears throat> when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them men when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 1 of chapter 5 takes us back to chapter 1, verse 27. I think I put it on the screen, if I remember right. It's not in your notes. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So we just read here in in verse 2, Male and female, he created them, he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. Because man, humankind, was created in the image of God, he was blessed with some unparalleled privileges and potential. You see, because we were created in the image of God, we have been given the capacity to hear God's word. Amen. We have been given the capacity. To hear God's word. The only other creatures who have that privilege are the angels of heaven. But thank God, we can hear His voice. Because we have been created in God's image, we have been charged to have dominion with God over the planet. To have dominion with God over the planet. Verse 26 of chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our image after. Make man our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and goes on over the livestock, all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. Verse twenty-eight of chapter one says the same thing. Number three, because we are created in the image of God, there is the possibility of an intimate spiritual relationship with God as His children. There is the possibility of an intimate spiritual relationship with God as his children. I believe that when Moses was inspired to write this lineage, genealogy of Seth, that he begins with the words of God creating Ish and Isha, humankind, to let us know that even though man has fallen, though they have been expelled from the garden, though sin has come in because of eating the forbidden fruit, the image of God in man, humankind, was not totally lost. The image of God in humankind, mankind, was not totally lost. Not only that, there was still something of the image of God present. There was also remnants of the blessing. Remnants of the blessing. The blessing I'm talking about is in verse 28 of chapter 1. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that's exactly what chapter 5 is about. Making babies. (laughs) Making families. Some mathematician began to figure out Now, if these people lived eight, 900 years and continued to procreate most of their life or even half of their life in a short period of time, relatively speaking, there would be millions of people on the planet. Verse 3 says this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. I think there's two connotations that I see in that he, father, to son, his own likeness. From a biological point of view, Seth was the product of chromosomes from Adam and chromosomes from Eve coming together. And remember where Eve came from? From Adam. Um, So the DNA, pretty strong, that in the image of mom and dad, Seth is born. They all carried that human DNA that God placed in the first couple. But I believe in light of what I read in the New Testament about our spiritual condition before being born again, because of Adam we were born dead spiritually and separated from God. So being created in the image of Adam reminds us we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We are reminded that we're vulnerable to temptation and making the wrong choice and sinning. Anyone here never sinned? You all know what the Bible says. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I didn't trap anybody with that question. We're all vulnerable. Without coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit indwell us, we can count on the fact we are going to continue to live in sin. Seth's line that began with Enosh were people who proclaimed the name of the Lord. Seth's family tree seems to be, be one who had a, a pursuit of restoring that relationship with God by walking in obedience, doing the sacrifices that God had planned. But I want you to notice something. I want to, I, I gave you a whole list of verses, and I'm I put them on the screen, and I just want to read these verses. I think there's eight of them. Genesis 5, 5 said this, Thus all the days of Adam, that Adam lived, were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8, Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, Thus all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he Then all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he then all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he. Verse 27, then all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he. Thus all the days of Lamech, another Lamech born in the other family tree, were 777 years, and he. Death is the great equalizer. I mean, isn't that just a happy genealogy? <laughs> Every one of them died. Even though they proclaimed the name of the Lord, they called on the name of the Lord, though they knew something of having an ongoing relationship with God, their stories all ended the same. And he died. And he, and he died is all one word. Muth in the Hebrew. Barring the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of this world as we know it, that word muth will one day be said about you. And he died. She died. To live without acknowledging that fact is to live foolishly. Because the scripture says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. And after that comes judgment. If we just died and that was it, we could live any way we wanted. But after that comes judgment. Judgment. A wise person plans for that day. There are people today, as soon as their children are born, one of the first things they begin to plan is, how are we going to pay for the college? And they start a savings fund to make sure that when that child is 18 years old, They can send them off to college. Millions of people choose the place that they are going to go to work for pay based upon what kind of retirement system will this set me up for so that when I get to be, I can take life easy for the rest of my days. People make plans for so many things in their life, seemingly believing death will never come their way. You say, really? Well, let's think about the way we live. There are people who've made arrangements, on the other hand, for their burial. They've made sure that everything will be paid for so their children don't have to pay for anything. But somehow believing that there's no judgment day coming, that there's no God to answer to, that they think, well, whatever I do in this life doesn't matter. But it does. But it does. In the words of our late friend, an evangelist that my dad had come probably every year for four or five years, ten years, I don't know. He finished every sermon that he preached here, literally yelling it. Eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? And what will you do with Jesus Christ? I mean, the way he said it, chills will go up and down your spine. I hope I'm ready to meet Jesus today. Eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? And what will you do with Jesus Christ? Jesus said there's only one way to heaven, through faith in him. And what he did when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, only one way. It's appointed unto man once to die. Everyone dies except there were two people in the Bible, who did not die. One of them became, he, he inspired a, a spiritual. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. If you read in Second Kings, you can read the story of Elijah and Elisha walking towards the appointment that God had for Elijah. Elijah did not die. It says that here come the chariot of fire, and as the chariot of fire came close and went by, there was a whirlwind that took him up, and he went to heaven. We don't see him again until the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes to talk to Jesus. Well, here in Genesis chapter 5, we read the story of the man who was a seventh generation from Adam through Seth. He stands in contrast to the seventh from Adam through Cain. We talked about Cain's great-great-great-grandson Lamech, an arrogant, ungodly man. Contrast that with this picture that we read in verse 21 of chapter 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This guy died... Everybody else lives over 700 years, but he only made 365, but he didn't die. Now, my dad loved to tell this story that's been attributed to all kinds of little girls, whatever. I think the first person we heard say it was Dr. Bill Stevens preaching, and he's, but he said this, that, that God and Enoch were walking together And they had walked so far that God says to Enoch, you're closer to my house than you are yours, so you can just come home with me. And um, that's a cute story, but I don't think that's what it means when it says, Enoch, walk with God. We get a better understanding of it because there's more verses in the Bible about Enoch in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5, And I'm going to connect it to verse 6 because there's a connecting word. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Remember, beam me up, Scotty. God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. God, that is. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me point out some observations that are made from these two verses that talk about Enoch walking with God. Walking with God implies a life of deepest obedience. Walking with God implies a life of deepest obedience. A consistent, faithful life of obeying what God has written and what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Walking with God implies keeping in step with God. Keeping in step with God. Walking with God. Walking with God implies walking in the same direction. Keeping in step with God. Walking in the same direction. A certain grandson and I went for a walk in the woods a week ago or the other day. Um, and there came a point when he thought he saw a trail and I just stood there and he kept looking at me and I just stood there until he finally got the clue that's not the way we're going to (laughs) go. You're going to walk with me, I'm not going to walk with you. And for some reason, I thought about that earlier this morning when I'm typing this. To walk with God implies walking in step with him, walking the same direction. Like Jesus did. Everything he said, everything I do, the Father, the Father's words, the Father's will. And even in the most difficult hour of his life, his final prayer was, not my will, but your will be done. Walking with God implies a life of fellowship, a step above mere living. It implies a life, a step above mere living, where you can know the reality of the old hymn, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me, I'm his own. Where yesterday I preached, shared, whatever you want to say at the celebration of life, the Lord is my shepherd. You are with me when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. A life of fellowship, a step above mere living. Before he was taken, Enoch was commended as having pleased God. And here it tells us how to please God, have a faith that pleases. God-pleasing faith believes that God is. That's where it starts. It believes that God is. It believes that there's a God who's in charge, a sovereign God, an all-powerful God who created everything that there is, a God who holds it all together, a God who wants to be known and makes himself known to those whose hearts long after him. Enoch believed in God. Enoch feared God. There was an awe and reverence for God that caused him to want to live in a manner to not displease God. And we talk about the fear of God. It's that kind of awe, that kind of reverence. It says, I will obey him because I do not want to displease God the Father. God believe, God-pleasing faith, number two, believes God will do what he said. It believes that God will do what he said. He rewards those who seek him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek seek him. Enoch learned what the prophet would say centuries later, and Rick already referred to it in the service. Jeremiah 29, 13 said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Those were God's words through Jeremiah to the people of Judah who were going to be taken captive by the Babylonians, and they were going to be there 70 years, and then God was going to bring them back. Two verses before that is one that many people quote. We have plaques of it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Enoch had that kind of faith. No, he never read the Psalms. He believed with all of his heart. Psalms 119, 2, Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart. And Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God-pleasing faith believes that God will reward. God-pleasing faith believes God is approachable. God is approachable. Thou faith is impossible, pleasing forever would draw near to God. We can draw near to God, but you must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near. You know what I read in the subtext here? The total message of that line is those who ever draw near is this. God wants to be in close relationship with you yeah. and me. Yeah. God wants to be in close relationship. From the time that God had to dispel Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, he'd been actively working to restore the intimacy that they lost because of sin. The, the, the blood sacrifices of the old covenant were all about sin being forgiven and fellowship with God being restored. The bottom right-hand page of the in, inside page of the both this morning, I put... Uh, part of a verse from James chapter 4. Let me read the verse right before it and the whole verse. James 4, 7 said, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now I know Enoch, Never read James, and he, he didn't hear about James until James got to heaven where he's at. But he knew what it is to walk with God, to submit his will to God, to walk in the fear of the Lord in such a way that his effort was to live to please God, to hear God's voice. To be guided by God each and every day. What I one of the major things that I, I felt led to pray on Wednesday night as a few of us gathered was God, place in us a holy discontent for your presence a holy longing for you a holy longing and I want to just take a moment and digress before we finish the message and I want to join with Fanny Crosby I'm going to move your music to Dan it'll be right over here that'll be okay it will be okay. that's what I'm doing you to sing with me what a blind lady wrote. I mean, this lady wrote hundreds of, of hymns. This is the one I want you to sing with me. and it told thy love to me but i long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee draw me nearer neighbor blessed lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me near Blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by thy power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and mine will be lost in thine sing that again consecrate me now to thy service lord by thy power of grace divine let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine draw me near neighbor blessed lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me never never blessed lord to thy precious bleeding side oh the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne i spend when i kneel in prayer and with thee my god i commune as friend with friend draw me never nearer, blessed lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me never never blessed lord TO THY PRECIOUS, BLEEDING SOUTH. DRAW ME CLOSE TO YOU, NEVER LET ME GO. I LAY IT ALL DOWN AGAIN hear you say that i'm your friend you are my desire no one else will do cause nothing else will take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace help me find the way bring me back to you you're all i want you're all i've ever needed you're all i want help me know you are near sing that one more time Amen? Amen? We sang earlier. And I am desperate for you. This is the air I breathe. This is my daily bread. Your presence. Your presence. You're all I need. I'm desperate for you what our nation needs is millions of people who will become desperate for the presence of Jesus Christ, that it would be said of us, and we walked with God, and we walked with God, It's interesting in verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now I know we can read that a couple of different ways. That can mean he had this son and lived another 300 years and, and then he was taken away. By the way, Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived. 969 years. Then the flood came. That's another message. Many of the theologians that I've read, and i read several of them this week trying to get a grasp of this chapter, they look at this and they say, this could mean that there was something significant that happened when this boy was born that caused Enoch to say, I'm going to pursue God, to walk with God. Now, I know that there's been many a, a, a man that when their first child is born and they hold that child, there's a transformation that takes place inside of them, and they suddenly realize, I need to be a responsible person. And that may be what happened. But in a moment, I I want to throw out something else. But the other thing I want to point out is some people say, well, that was in the beginning and everybody was, it was dark days. Enoch lived in dark days. The sons of Cain were raising all kinds of Cain. (laughs) Chapter five precedes chapter six. Everything in chapter 5 leads up to the point where God said, I repent, I regret that I made man in the first place. 120 years and it's all going to be changed. He lived in a culture. Part of the people were proclaiming the name of God. And part of the people were doing everything they could to worship anything but God. Enoch walked with God in very dark times. I already gave you the spoiler alert that the flood is coming. But what I discovered in Scripture is God gave Enoch a prophetic word. He gave him a prophetic word. In Jude, Jude is one chapter right before the book of Revelation in your Bible. Jude, a half-brother of Jesus. He writes... It was also about these, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and there's more than one Enoch in the Bible, but he he makes sure you understand this was the one prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Somewhere, and I think it was around the time that Methuselah was born, God gave Enoch a prophetic word of judgment that was going to come on the ungodly for all the sins that they had committed and their walking away from God. I believe Enoch spoke into the culture. I believe that God gave him a message of warning. And unlike Cain, who ignored God's grace and God's call to repentance, Enoch lived as close as he could to God. And I believe he was doing everything he could to make sure that people were ready for that day of judgment. You see, God showed him there would be a reckoning day. God showed him there would be a reckoning day. 10,000 angels. Perhaps this is where the song 10,000 angels came from. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Speaking of Jesus on the cross. Jesus said it was 12 legions, but here it's. Enoch prophesied 10,000 of his holy ones. To execute judgment on all the ungodly. Now notice this. It didn't happen in his day, but he lived like it would. It didn't happen in his day, but he lived like it would. Now there came a point in time and he's already gone and God comes and he warns them. And it's coming. It's coming. And they had 120 years to repent after Noah began building that ark because God said judgment is coming. The flood came, and this planet was cleansed from all the ungodly people except for that family of eight people. There's another reckoning day coming. There's another reckoning day coming. In our Bible reading, we've read through Isaiah, we've read through Jeremiah, we're now in Ezekiel. And I don't know if you've noticed the parallels to the wickedness that God judged in city after city in the nation of Israel to what is going on in our world today. There's a day of reckoning coming. Matthew 24 says this in verse 30, 37, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. How many millions of people are living the life like the people in the days of Noah? No regard for God. Verse 44 said, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming again, and it could be today. Are you ready? Jude leaks Enoch's prophecy of judgment of God with the second coming of Christ. We live in spiritually dark days. In my understanding of the word, I believe that one of two things is going to take place sooner than we think. We are either going to see the judgment of God on this nation and every other nation who has fallen into idolatry and apostasy. And it'll be judgment in similar ways that we see in, in the biblical days where nations become subservient to other nations. People lose their lives. They lose everything they've had. Or, I hope it's this next one. I hope it's the trumpet blast from heaven. And Jesus descends just like he ascended back into heaven and he calls his church home. Jude, ends his letter this way. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. I left that blank because, you know, I wanted you to write something, action verb to end this. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ the Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I began with the story of the Morgan gypsies. They were saved by heeding the warning of those who've gone before them. There's a disaster coming for those who are not prepared. And this morning you heard the warning. Only those who are walking with God are going to be saved. Do you know that if we are fortunate enough to be alive when Jesus comes again, we will have the same experience that Enoch did. We won't die. We will just be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. This mortality will put on immortality and we will rise to meet Jesus in the air with the saints that he brings with him. And in a moment, I will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus because John said, Beloved, now we are the sons of God does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you walking with the Lord? I don't know about you, but I think the song is, Lord, draw me close, draw me nearer. I need to have a heart that has this holy discontent that's not happy unless I know I'm walking in your presence. Stand, and we're going to sing the chorus again. Draw me close to you, then we'll close in prayer.